Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, the podcast for church leaders who want to make a difference in their communities. We're your hosts, Tony Marr and Bruce Montgomery, and we're excited to be with you today. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest trends, strategies, and ideas for effective leadership in small-sized churches. So whether you're a pastor, a ministry leader, or a volunteer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we'll bring you interviews with experienced church leaders who have valuable insights to share. We'll also explore topics like team building, community outreach, spiritual growth, and much more. So if you're looking for practical advice and inspiration to help you lead your church with excellence, you've come to the right place. The Small Church Podcast is brought to you by Higher Ministries. Higher Ministries is an organization that exists to help Christian leaders in the churches they serve through coaching and consulting, all for little or no cost. For more information on Higher Ministries or to find out more about the Small Church Podcast, please visit HigherMinistries.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Small Church Podcast. Welcome to the Small Church Podcast this week. I'm your host, Tony Marr. My co-host, Bruce Montgomery, is not with us this week. He is in sunny Florida on vacation with his family, so he will be missed this week. But we have an incredible guest, someone that I'm very excited about joining us this week, a good friend of mine, Robert Bess. I've known him for several years, and he has been a pastor at several different churches since 2008 when he made the, the jump from the secular world and military world. Uh, into the church world. And this week's topic, we're talking about cultivating change to reach new people. And as soon as we decided that we wanted to address this topic on our show, uh, Robert's name was was the first name that we thought of, of someone that we had to have on. Uh, Robert has done some of the most innovative, creative things in ministries, in churches that, that when he started at were beyond small churches. I mean, we're, we're talking minuscule churches. And over the course of his time there with the things that he he introduced to the church, the changes that he made, his his leadership and influence saw the churches grow to where they would no longer fall into our category of small churches of 150 active attenders or less. Uh, so we're excited for him to share some of his insights, some of his knowledge, his wisdom, and his ideas with us uh, here today, this week on the Small Church Podcast. And so, Robert, it's it's an honor to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Well, well thanks, Tony. I, I, it's a, a very flattering introduction. I'm not sure that I've, I've I've done all that, but I'm glad that you think that I have, and I'm I'm just honored to be here and be part of the conversation. There's the the mirage of of Robert Bess, who you are, and then then maybe my reality. Uh, no, I'm I'm pretty sure my reality is pretty spot on. So uh, uh, having gotten to know <laughs> you quite a bit, many many conversations over the years, uh, you are uh, one of the most um, I think unique minds in, in the way that you have have such a perspective that you didn't grow up in the church, uh, and so no, you're, no, I didn't. Your perspective as an, an outsider for most of your life, I think, has has led you to lead in a very unique way. So why don't you well, take just I, a I minute, remember, Robert, and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you came from, and how you got to where you are. Um, I, I grew up in, in Central California, uh, in San Jose. Uh, went to high school there, and after I graduated uh, from high school, I, I toyed with the idea of going to college, but... Uh, ended up going into the military, and I was still seeking identity. I was trying to figure out who I was, and so when I went in the military, I, I wanted to do uh, 
the most challenging and, and difficult things. And so I signed up for some, some pretty hard stuff and, and found my way through there, but I still couldn't find, you know, who am I really? I think it's one of the universal questions that we have as, as people. And I, you know, my grandmother had taken me to church several times uh, in my younger years. And, and when I would visit with her over the summers, I had to go to church with her, whether I wanted to or not. And so I, I was introduced to, to faith and, and Christ as a, as a young child, but as a young man, I, I just, you know, I was more interested in trying to find my way through the world. And, and it wasn't until I became an adult actually, and had several uh, situations in my life that caused me to pause and wonder about life and about who I am. And uh, so I, 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 I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to church because that's where my grandmother said that real life could be found. And I was disappointed a lot. A lot of churches I went to, I found, uh, a lot of religion and a lot of people who uh, were kind of judgmental. And so I thought, how sad. I went to church, but I didn't find God there. And it, it took a while before it all it all kind of sank in. But I, I gave my life to Christ as, a, as, a, as an adult man and uh, started getting really involved in, in small groups and, and ministry and that kind of thing. And then just out of the blue, um, God had plans. I never thought, well, I'm going to be a, a pastor. I want to be a minister. You know, I was just kind of a Sunday school teacher uh, at a big church there in Tennessee. You know, when I was going to college in East Tennessee, after I got out of the Navy, I went to college and um, ended up serving in a, in a rather large church. And through uh, my friendship with Bruce Montgomery, actually, he asked me to fill in at a church because uh, he couldn't. And I did, I was scared to death and didn't know what I was going to do. And he said, just do one of your Sunday school lessons. It'll be great. And uh, that's how it all kind of started to fall in place and God opened doors of opportunity. And I ended up becoming a minister in my forties. So it was a, a real change and um, been doing it ever since. Robert, you've had the experience of stepping into a leadership role in a couple of different churches that when you were brought in as their their new senior minister, their new lead pastor, uh, the church was um, maybe not spiritually on the verge of death, but but definitely uh, trending that way. And I know I know one of the churches you were at was less than twenty people uh, when you when you took over there. And so when you're walking in to a church situation like that, where uh, your family walking through the doors of the church uh, increases the, the Sunday morning attendance by 50%, uh, <laughs> how, how yeah. do you deal with the, the expectations from the people that you walking in is, is a big deal for us and we're expecting something? Well, it, it, um, I've never, I've never shied away from challenges. As I said, when I was young, I set myself up for some of the most difficult challenges that you could face. And so I've always kind of strived on, um, trying to turn things around or, or, you know, help things become better. And so with, with a smaller church, it's easier to begin to, in, in some ways, it's, it's easier to begin to bring some change to an organization. The thing about, uh, the first church I, I well, several churches, because uh, they're kind of the same, they the same profile, as you said, they were declining churches. They were churches that had been effective in the past, and, and they had a long history in, in the community, but they had dwindled down to 
um, a smaller number. And, and, and the thing that I, I, I find true is that every church says they want to grow. They, they all say that. And they, we want to grow. We want to reach people for Christ. Um, but what they really mean by that, I've come to understand, is that they really want people to come and worship with them that worship exactly the way they worship in the style and in the presentation of, of the, the weekly services. And so as, as churches, these churches are desperate because they are dying and they know they're dying. And so they want to bring in somebody that, that maybe can help bring some excitement or, or new ideas into something like that. And so I think one of the things that, that churches have to decide is, are we going to be a church for Christians, or are we going to be a church that's interested in growing the kingdom of God? You need to actually embrace both because there is a responsibility for uh, growing the, the saints in a church. But then you also have to be cognizant of the fact that the mission, that the mission of the church was to, to go and, and make disciples. And so it's about really reaching others. And and when some churches become so institutionalized that, that, that they want to make people comfortable that are that are going there that they lose interest in actually trying to reach other people and so you have to really try to strike a balance and sometimes it's it's out of balance and and so the challenge is coming into a situation and and bringing that balance back so like you said every church would say that they want to grow every church wants to reach new people at least they would say on the surface that they want to reach new people but yet 80%, 75% 80%, 75% of the churches in this country are less than 100 people and have been plateaued or declining for the last decade. And so if every church wants to reach new people, why aren't they? Right, because we know it's not, it's, it's not a problem with the message. We have the greatest message ever, that, that God is interested in us, that God cares about us, and, and wants to connect with us in a really, really intimate way. It's a, it's a great message. The, the problem is we're sometimes really ineffective in how we share that, that message. And, and you're right. Every church wants to grow. They just don't know how. And so um, the thing that it, to keep in mind is that, you know, religion in, in America, especially here in America, uh, religion and faith no longer occupies the place that it used to in, in social and public life. Um, so rather than, uh, I think sadly, rather than innovating the way we present this wonderful message, um, we've kind of isolated back to, well, these are the tried and true methods. This worked in the, the 50s and in the 40s. And so we'll try to keep doing the same thing that we always were doing. But but you're right, there's this real decline um, I mean, the median church attendance in, in 2000, if you look at the numbers, in 2000, the median church in America was 137 people, 137 regular attenders. By 2020, that had declined to 65. Yeah. By And this is pre-COVID. That's yeah. pre-COVID. Churches have been declining for years. COVID simply sped up what was already happening. And, and so a lot of churches, especially smaller churches now, are, are faced with this dilemma. What do we do to not to not go out of existence. And many, sadly, many, many churches through COVID just disappeared altogether. Yeah. Uh, Robert, do you think that the reason why so many churches are having trouble reaching new people is because 
the people they want to reach, they want to reach people that look just like them. They, they want to reach people that want the same things as them. And to reach different people would require change. And we don't want to change. Well, change is difficult. Psychologically, change is difficult for, for all of us. And, and so uh, I think you're right, though. Continuing you know, business as usual is, is not working. And the world has changed tremendously since the uh, advent of, of the Internet and smartphones. It's changed the way that people communicate and the way they schedule their lives and the way they, they move in and out seamlessly of, of the, the cyber world and, and the physical world. And, and so the technology has changed to the degree that if, if we don't innovate, then, then we will just rem, you know, be in that cycle of, of older Christian members dying out and churches are, are kind of dwindling because of attrition. And, and so as, as much as churches say they want to grow, and I believe they all really, really do, they, they do have to fight this insider preference of, of maintaining what has always been. There's something about it psychologically. When you came to Christ, when you had your conversion experience, whatever was in vogue, however church was done at the time that you actually uh, acknowledged God and, and, and asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, however it was done, in your mind, that's imprinted as the way to do it. Because it's what it worked, worked for you. you. Yeah, it's what worked for you. Which, right. It's what should work for everyone. Right. It's it's the, the, the idea that they're really kind of... Uh, egotistical idea that if it worked with you, it would work with everybody. Right. And, and that's just not what the way the world is. It's not how people are either. And so it's a very narrow view of what will work and how to do things. But, but it is imprinted in your mind that somehow this is sacred because that worked with you. And so that's what you're going to stand for. And, and that kind of puts up a wall to any change. And as churches grow, if you really start reaching non-church people, if you really start growing the kingdom of God, well, you're going to bring in people who have different ideas and different viewpoints and, and, and maybe different worldviews, and they're going to have ideas. And those ideas maybe will conflict with long-established ideas that, that aren't really scriptural, but they're just the way we've always done it, you know? Um, and, and so when, when that begins to happen, then there's conflict and it gets messy. And unless you're very careful and unless you, you're willing to invest and have conversations about these kinds of things, there will be a us-versus-them mentality. And that's always bad. All right, one of the things, we, we have a lot of listeners to our podcast that are within the first year of ministry at a new church. Um, and, and that is a difficult time. I, I can remember being back in, in Bible college and in numerous, numerous books on church growth and conversations that I've had with people that the general rule of thumb was when you're new to a church, you need to make a change within your first three months that you're there. You need to do something within that first quarter that you're there that shows, hey, I'm not here just to continue with the status quo, but to make some kind of change. Um, in, in the churches that you've been a part of, you haven't just made change, you've made big change. How soon do you think that needs to happen in order to let the leadership and the attenders of your church know we're not satisfied with where we're at, we're, we're ready to go and do something different and reach new people? Well, I, I think I've always been uh, of the, the thought process that if, if you know, if the church is declining, if, if you're losing relevance in your community, then 
maybe you need to really look at at, at how you're doing and, and what you're doing and what's working and what's not working. I mean, continuing to do, like I said, be, business as usual is not working. The, the world has changed so much. And if you're going to reach people, I, I, I always found that it started with with trying to get an idea and get it make it repeatable. For example, at one of the churches I was serving at, um, one of the things that I said to our, our leaders and to the people of the church, and I would repeat it, not every week, but but they would hear it several times. They would hear the statement, doing nothing is not an option. And, you know, the church is declining. If our influence is declining, if we're not reaching people, then we're going to have to address it because doing nothing is not an option. And uh, I, I taught on it in several series. I would bring that line up until I started hearing people repeat it. And I knew at that point when they were saying, yeah, we got to do something because doing nothing is not an option. And once they, they buy into the, the statement, the idea that we have to make some change, and they think it's almost, you almost get them in the mindset that it's their idea too. They buy into the idea that things are going to have to change. We need to make some changes or things are going to continue to decline and doing nothing is not an option. We can't just keep doing what we've been doing because that's not working. And so you get the buy-in that you got to try something. And then it's very important after that that you, that you do, that you come up with a new approach or a new avenue of, of reaching people. And then you you implement it and, and you know, pray to God that is going to be successful in some ways. And then you celebrate the, the fact that, that you did have some wins because of that. And so once you establish that, that together you can come up with these ideas of doing things differently and they can have an effect on people's lives in your church, but also in people outside of the church. I, I think once you, once you kind of establish that idea that we're going to try things, we're going to, we got to do something because doing nothing is not an option. And, and once you get that buy-in of people repeating the ideas that back up your, your, your vision for the future, I think then you, you, You've taken a big step in that direction. So we know that we need to make a change. We've gotten everyone on board that change needs to happen. Everyone's excited for change. We know that change needs to happen or we're going to die. How do we know what to change? What change needs to be made? We know that something needs to be changed, but as we look at our dying church, what needs to change in order to reach new people? How do we identify those areas where we can actually be effective in influencing change? Well, first of all, you never get everybody. You, you know, you, even with, with the majority of buy-in, there's never this idea that everybody thinks we need to make some changes. And, and there are people that will give lip service to that, that idea, you know, we're going we're gonna to be innovative or we're going to adjust. That's what we're going to adjust some, some things around here. But you never really have everybody on the same page, as great as that would be. I'd love to be able to, to say that, that I, I ever achieved that. But what happened is and, and the way it works is you begin to, you know, if if people aren't interested in 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 what you're doing or how you're approaching ministry, well then your your church is not going to grow. And here's the thing about it, especially here in America, you know, not so much when in California when I was a kid, I didn't even know where a church was in San Jose. I mean, there just weren't a whole lot of them. And then I moved to Tennessee and there's a church on absolutely every corner. And there are Churches right, you know, a Baptist church right across the street from another Baptist church. And I was like, why can't these guys get together? How come there, you know, so many little churches? And it's because 
that's you know in the it's in the Bible Belt. You just have the establishment of all these different churches. We have churches and, and the on the east in Tennessee, like we have Seven Elevens on the west coast. Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely, they're everywhere. And and when uh, when I was ministering in Tennessee, people would come, you know, they would drive twenty five, sometimes 30, 40 miles to come to our church. And I'm like, wow, I'm so honored that you're here because you you passed a hundred churches yeah. been here. That's amazing, <laughs> you know. But you never actually have everybody, right? But once you begin to actually put some successes together, and I saw this, and, and it's, not everybody liked my ideas. It's just that, you know, when you're asking for fresh approaches or ideas to, to do some things, we, we would get together, a group of us, we'd get together from the church and say, well, we need to do something. Somebody, you know, let's come up with ideas, and then we'll share them together. And so for several months, though, we kept meeting, and I'd say, well, what are you guys' ideas? And, uh, and, and nobody had any, they're like, well, we don't know. And it's hard to think outside the box. I think one of the things, as you pointed out, is I didn't grow up a Christian. So it's not hard for me to think outside the box because I, I, I just think back, what would have worked, you know, when, when I was looking, when I was hungry for God, what would have been a good approach for me, you know, uh, and, and how would I have, have been drawn into to something? And, and um, so I, I just kind of try to, put that mindset on and think about how most people, especially in Tennessee, most people have been to church. They just don't go to church, meaning they've, they've tried it and they've already rejected it as non-relevant in their lives. They've already decided, you know, if I'm looking for God, I'm not going to go there. And so one of the things that I wanted to be able to do is create something where people would come in and, and they might, see something totally different than what they expected because what they expected was when I go to church, I'm going to go in there. People are going to be, some people are going to be dressed up. And if I'm not dressed up, some people are going to look funny at me. Um, they're going to, they're going to pray. They're going to sing three songs. There's going to be some kind of a message or something. Then they'll do another song and then we'll go home. And it's so predictable that, I mean, that is people's when you invite people to church who haven't gone to church or maybe they've gone to church, but they're not part of a church. They already know what to expect. And so I think it's really important that in some ways we create the unexpected so that immediately in their minds they're like, oh, this is this is different than what I thought. Maybe I should pay attention to this. And and some of the walls of, of apprehension begin to come down because you're not as predictable as everything they've seen in the past. Because if look at the methods that we were using was working, churches wouldn't be declining. There's something something is wrong in the way that we're presenting this wonderful gospel message because people are finding it to be not relevant to their lives or not important to their lives or, you know, they can't see themselves in, in that that uh, type of situation where they're going to be able to connect with God in, in a meaningful way. And so it's not that they're losing their desire to be spiritual because we are created as spiritual beings. We will worship something. We are made to worship. And so... I, I think the the whole idea, though, is to to begin to move in a direction that is more unexpected. And it doesn't mean that it's totally and completely different, but it is unexpected, and that um, when people see it, when they encounter it, they realize this is something different, at least. So, if you're a church leader who has decided that we need to make change, change needs to happen. We want to reach new people. We want to do something different. The logical first step that I think most people go to, especially in a small church, a, a rural church, a more traditional church, is we need to change our worship style. 
the difficulty with that is that a lot of churches, you know, when, when you walked into your church that, that had 16 people on your first Sunday and you said, okay, we need to change our worship style, but you look around and you don't have any talent. You don't have any, you, you don't even have people. Um, and so to say that, that okay, we're going to change our worship style, maybe isn't the change that needs to be made. Um, there are so many other potential changes that can be made besides worship style and the way that, that you program, the way that you outreach, the way that you use technology, the, uh, like you said, programming spontaneity, you know, just maybe switching things up to where they're not as predictable um, as they've been before. What are some ways that that you have utilized or seen that you can make big cha- changes to reach new people that that go outside of just the initial thoughts that we might have. Well, I I, I think um, you're right about worship style. I mean, everybody has their preferred worship style, and sometimes I'll when when we're moving towards change. And I think the first church that I ministered in, there was an organ and a piano, and and that was it. And uh, they played together and, and it was, it was about what you would expect with organ and piano. You know, um, I played, I played the drums and I've often played in, in churches, but I didn't even tell them that I played the drums because you can't really play drums with organ and, and piano. They just, it's not, they don't go together very much. And so worship styles though are very, very uh, personal and, and, and certain groups like certain styles. As I said, when you were saved, whatever worship style they used in that church, that's how you think it should be done. And so people will fight to keep the worship style they like, but it's just a preference. I, I ask people all the time, what's God's favorite music? And they say, well, I don't know. I say, I don't know either, you know, but I know that people worship with different music styles. And I think God delights in all of it. I don't think you could say God prefers, you know, choral music or, or, organ and, and piano only and no stringed instruments those are the instruments of the devil i mean people in tennessee have these really really personal views about worship but worship is just one that the, the music is is one component i think probably more than anything else is uh you want to create something that that impresses people or or catches them off guard with uh the venue that you're using i mean if you i i remember in tennessee every small church in in tennessee had uh, pink carpet and pink <laughs> drapes and and pink pews and many of them still do and it's it's because one church started doing it that way back in the late 60s early 70s and everybody said oh that looks nice we're going to do that and so they just kind of churches kind of copy each other and, and the thing about it is I, I i often tell people like this if 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 churches are identical to other churches so much so I mean, how would you feel if, if you were in a city and every restaurant in your city was a McDonald's? I mean, if you like McDonald's, that's fine, but you don't want to eat it all the time. You don't want every restaurant to offer McDonald's food. We, we like variety. And so I think with, with uh, kind of the, the venue or the, just the atmosphere that you create within a church, even in the people who are greeting, if, if it is different, if it is uh, somehow not cookie cutter the same way it's always been done. I, I think, it, it, like I said, if you're going to reach people nobody else is reaching, you're going to have to do things nobody else is doing. If we're doing the same thing that other churches are doing, and they're not doing well with it either, why would we expect that we would have a different result than, than everybody else? And so something has got to change. And uh, th- those things, change is not, um, not for the faint of heart, though, because 
as I've been able to do this at a couple of different places, I always encounter a very strong contingent of people who wanted to go back to the way it was. And, and that's just something in human nature. And it's been part of human nature for a long time. It really is. Robert, you did one of the coolest things that, that I've seen at one of the churches that you were at that I had the opportunity to come and visit you um, and see you a couple of times is a, a very traditional, um, small, rural church that had a... I, I don't even know what it was before you you took it over, a storage building, a, a shed. I'm not sure what it was, but you went in <laughs> yeah. and, and renovated it into a new... Uh, venue that was shared the same parking lot as the the main sanctuary and main building of the church, and you created a coffee shop type situation there, feel there, and then you started doing Sunday morning services there. You kept your services going in in the the main traditional sanctuary, but you were doing services in this new venue as well, and the <laughs> the impact that that had on the church and on the community. Uh, could not be overstated. Tell us a little bit about your thought process in looking at this this shed and how how you had the vision for what could be there and just the process of making that happen and seeing that come to fruition and the impact that that had. Well, it was a uh, it was actually a, a, a building. They called it their their fellowship hall, and it was just a square or a rectangular building with a, a, you know, a couple of bathrooms and a kitchen and uh, concrete floors and, and white walls and fluorescent lights. And it wasn't a very inviting space, but they would use it a couple of times a year when they would have potluck dinners and that kind of thing. And as our church, uh, when, like, like you said, when I first got there, it was like 17 or 18 people. And uh, as, as time went by, we began to change the culture of that church to be more outwardly focused uh, along with what we were doing for people inside the church, we wanted to reach other people. And so it was through a, a lot of teaching. And, and like I said, this idea of, you know, doing nothing is not an option that, that we began to try to, to change some of the things we were doing. The church began to grow. And um, when we got up to about a hundred people, we couldn't fit in, in our building anymore. And we weren't in a position to financially to, to, to build or, or expand our building, but we had this building in the parking lot, like you said, it was, you know, a couple hundred feet from the main building, but it was mainly uh, not used. And so I began to think, um, what can we do to continue uh, to, to grow the church? And, and one of the discussions we had is we can go to multiple services and churches have done that for years. And the thing about it is a lot of people who have experienced that they don't like that because then it, it truly creates two different churches in a way because they're worshiping in the same location, but at different times. And so I, I just, I think God just kind of impressed upon me that what if we began to use both buildings? And so with the, with this building available, because nobody was, was really using it, I began to come up with this vision of creating a space that is a totally different venue. Like when you walk into a church, when you walked into this particular church, it looked like a church on the outside and it looked like a church on the inside. And I thought, what if we create a space that's more relational? And, and so I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine. We were in a coffee shop and I thought someplace like this where people are comfortable sitting around tables and having conversations, would it be great if, if I could do that? And so 
um, I began to, to cultivate this idea. And when we got together at one of our meetings of what are we going to do because the church has outgrown its space. I mean, we had standing room only sometimes, and that won't last. I said, look, the, the church is full on Sundays, but that won't last because people don't like being crowded in like that. Um, so then I, I, I said, well, why can't we use this space? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's use this space and we can, I, I just kind of came up with this idea of, of preaching twice. And so we would create a space in the, in the fellowship hall building and I would preach there and then I would come across and, and preach at the church too. the same message, um, delivered exactly the same way, but just in two different spaces. And so we created a, a very comfortable coffee shop environment with a lot of tables that people could sit around and um, good coffee and, and, and refreshments. And it was a very intimate space. And I found that I actually really enjoyed um, teaching in that environment, having conversations. It felt very conversational and relatable. And so um, as we opened, I was scared to death because I thought, what if nobody shows up, you know, first Sunday, nobody shows up, but, but people did show up. And, and in fact, they kept showing up. And, and then pretty soon we had to uh, we were doing a simultaneous service, so I would preach in the cafe. We called it Connection Cafe. I would preach in the cafe while they were doing worship in the main church. And then at a very specified time, the worship team would come over to the cafe, and I would go over to the church. We'd kind of cross each other in the parking lot, and then they would do worship in the cafe. And I would deliver the same exact message to, to folks in, in the church, but everybody was there at the same time so that we could mingle in the parking lot or we could – you know, come and hang out in the in the cafe even after service. So it, it created a, a some more space for more people, but it actually ended up creating two different worship styles in that one was very intimate and conversational, and then the other was very traditional and structured. And and because it was a success, people loved it at first. Um, even people who didn't like the idea of it in the beginning were, were now saying, yeah, look at what we've done here. And we're really reaching a lot of people because people who were uncomfortable going into a church building were comfortable coming into a cafe because they always do that. And so I found that we could reach outsiders, non-Christian, non-church people were very comfortable coming and having a conversation about God in, in this space. And it got to the point where we were doing three services on a Sunday in the cafe space and, and one service in the traditional service. And so we were doing, we were actually doing four services on a Sunday morning. Wow. Uh, which is very difficult. Yeah, it is. So how important is it, Robert, uh, not only in your situation, but in any situation where you're making change um, to reach new people, uh, how important is it that in the midst of that change uh, that you maintain your core values as an organization? I, I think when looking back and in retrospect, because um, I learned so much in, in doing that, um, I think one of the things that would have helped a lot would have been to have ongoing conversations and really celebrate our successes more because what, what ended up happening is they began to, re, the people in the traditional church began to resent the people who went to church in the cafe. And their thinking was that the church leadership, their thinking was, well, people will be introduced to Christ in this coffee shop, but then at some point they will grow up and they'll come over here and do church the way we do church. And, and in fact, we were doing everything they did in the traditional church. We were doing it in the cafe. So in, in my opinion, they were both having, 
a church experience just kind of differently. And, and at first, like I said, when we were growing and we got to the point where we're like 250 in, in a very small church, but through multiple services, we were, we were reaching 250 people, uh, you know, a Sunday. And, and at first with the success of it, seemed like there was a lot of excitement, but then there became kind of this, this us versus them mentality again. And so I, I think more conversation should have been uh, um, had along the way to, to, to keep the focus on this is why we're doing this. This is why it's important. And yes, it might be uncomfortable right now, or you might find it uncomfortable, but are you willing to be uncomfortable so that people can, can come to Christ? I, I think, I think Paul, the, the method that, that Paul used, I think that always sticks in my mind. Like he, he, he makes this one statement where he says, you know, when I'm with the Jews, I'll be a Jew. When I'm with the Greeks, I'll be a Greek. When I'm with the Romans, I'll be a Roman. The Gentiles, I'll be. He, Paul said, I will be uncomfortable because, you know, he was in different cultures all the time, but he was willing to, to go into those cultures and, and eat the things that they ate and sat at the tables that they sat at because he wanted to reach some hmm. for Christ. And that's what he said. I, I think Paul said, I'm willing to be uncomfortable so that I can reach people for Christ. And uh, the thing is, I don't find that a lot of, Christians are like that. I think they want to be comfortable and they want you to come to Christ in a way that's comfortable for them. But, but I think that kind of misses the point. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Our conversation with Robert was going great. And so you'll have to tune in next week to the small church podcast to hear the rest of our conversation with pastor Robert Bess. If you want more information on the Small Church Podcasts or you would like to get in contact with Robert Bess, with myself or Bruce, you can reach us at HireMinistries.com. We would love to work with you and your church. Uh, again, I want to thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Small Church Podcast and tune in next week to hear the second part of our conversation with Robert Bess on making big changes to make a big impact in your church.